Welcome to The Reload, where we help unconventional leaders craft the life they truly want by questioning the assumptions they have about how life works. My name is Sean, and I'll be your host on this journey. As a performance coach and special operations combat veteran, I help high-performing executives kick ass in their careers while connecting with deeply powerful insights that fuel their lives. And we are back. Ta-da! So recently I was given some advice from a social media expert, consultant, if you will. And that advice was, you are not Tim Ferriss (laughs) or Joe Rogan, and that my episodes are too long. So I am experimenting with trying to hit this mm, 20 to 25 minute mark in order to make these episodes perhaps more digestible and also tighter, getting to the point faster and hopefully not having as much, oh, I don't know, distraction. So to that end, if you like the new format, go ahead and let me know. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn. If you don't like the new format, likewise, reach out to me on LinkedIn. And if you are going to reach out, especially if you're going to reach out saying that you don't like it, it would be great. And I would really appreciate it if you didn't just say something like, you suck. (laughs) I mean, you're welcome to your opinion. But if you want to have a meaningful impact on the direction of the show, it's useful to give feedback that I can actually do something with. So to that end, let's go ahead and dig on in. Now, most of these shows are inspired by conversations that I have with clients. Some of them are inspired by conversations I have with other people. And then occasionally we get interviews and episodes inspired by random musings that I have. Today is going to be another one of those inspired by a conversation that I recently had with a client. Now, the majority of my clients are leaders in the corporate world. And surprisingly, not so surprisingly anymore, because I've been at this for a few years and it's lost its surprise quality. But when I speak with other leadership or executive or performance coaches, one of the things that often comes up is their curiosity or their amazement, disbelief, that a pretty large percentage of my clients have had, I don't know what we would call, I guess, robust trauma, whether that is in the form of some sort of child abuse, whether that is uh, a sexual assault as an adult, or whether that's going through combat. Now, I would guess that given my history with my combat trauma, that that tends to emanate and that there are certain individuals out there that when they understand that that's part of my background, that makes me a more attractive coach for them. And in their deliberation process in terms of deciding who they want to work with, that that's something that a lot of coaches, I guess, don't have in their past. 
Now, how this relates to today's episode, as I'm sure you guessed from the episode title, Should You Let Sleeping Dogs Lie or something like that, this notion of digging into the past can be very tricky. On the one hand, as a coach, we're Most of the coaches I know have been trained in their various certification processes to avoid spending too much time in the past. And in fact, that's probably one of the clear dividing lines between coaching and therapy is that as a coach, my focus ought to be on helping the client see the future. (laughs) And I don't mean like a crystal ball, but being optimistic, being prospective. What is the future they want to build? What is the future you that you want to build? And to avoid stewing in issues from the past. Now, having said that many of my clients have these very robust traumas very frequently from childhood, can be a difficult thing to marry up those two elements. This notion that our past, in very many ways, forms our present, our present us, the way that we show up in the world. And then by extension, if you don't do anything about it, it very clearly has a direct impact on your future. And what do we do about that? especially if, as a coach, I'm not supposed to be spending a lot of time in the past. Well, for me, at least what I've experienced with several clients, is that they often end up in a place of trepidation around this idea of exploring the past. And I tend to get, mm, I guess, three main challenges, three main questions that come from them when we start to look at how the past, especially traumatic events, can influence us and why we might look at that, why we might process through that. And typically that is, well, what's the point? Secondly, won't it upset my status quo that I currently have? And third, who will I be or who will my person be if I look into the past? Now that last question, who will my person be? That might be confusing for some of you. And what that means is that very frequently, especially with childhood trauma, they the, the traumas necessitate involvement of a parent. Now, it's not always that the parent is the perpetrator, although there are plenty of instances where that has occurred, whether that's physical abuse, mental, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, the entire buffet. But oftentimes it's when a parent looked the other way when a parent was not more proactive in stopping the abuse. Or in some cases, when the parent 
legitimately didn't actually know what was going on. And there are times when, as adults, the client recognizes, at least on a cognitive level, that it is unfair to blame the parent for not knowing. But there is still this, you know, the proverbial inner child that carries a lot of resentment and a lot of anger and judgment. Why didn't you ask questions? Why didn't you dig deeper to figure it out? Even though, again, intellectually, the adult client knows that as a child, the client did everything they could to ensure that the parent didn't know because there was a lot of shame or there was a lot of guilt or whatever the child self was narrating internally about the abuse that they were receiving. So whether it is a parent that is actively engaging in the abuse, so the parent is the perpetrator, or the parent is colluding by looking the other way, or if the parent was actually totally ignorant, there are different ways that the adult client that I'm working with ends up being very afraid of what will happen if I really dig into this mess in my background, in my history. Now, in the instances of when the parent actually was the perpetrator or the aggressor, eh, generally that type of relationship isn't all that rosy. So they're not all that worried about tarnishing the image of the, the parent. But in the last two cases, where there is a parent that maybe looked the other way, but was very caring and very nurturing, and was in many ways kind of the, um, the only safe harbor in the storm, metaphorical storm, and then also in instances where the parent was ignorant, there really is a strong desire to sort of preserve the, the goodness that the client associates with the parent during that, those early years of abuse. And it makes things really tricky. Because oftentimes, when we have been in a situation that is so difficult for us as children, we want desperately to have somebody that was on our side. We want that, that safe harbor. And so as adults, this is not something that I dig into lightly with clients because there can be a very profound impact in uh, sort of metaphorically tearing down our old monuments. What will it mean for the future if I begin to recognize that the quote-unquote good parent actually knew what was going on and didn't stop it. I've had clients that absolutely refused to even begin to look at that possibility because it would mean too strong an unraveling of the fabric of the reality that they have built for themselves for so many years or decades. And if that's their choice, so be it. As a coach, it's not my role to tell them what they should or shouldn't do, at least not as I see it. 
But if we look at this, okay, you know, what are, what's the point? Won't it upset the status quo? What will it mean about the future? You know, those are some of the cons, I guess, that are listed by my clients. What might some of the pros be of digging into the past? Well, before my coaching colleagues uh, grab their pitchforks and, <laughs> and torches, recognize that we are exploring and processing the past in order to clear that energy. If you think about a physical wound, like a, a pretty nasty like cut, and if all you do is just slap a bandage over it, and imagine when you got cut, it was some super nasty, rusted, tarnished, jagged piece of metal. You know, just visualize that for a moment. And it's just as you just look at it and you're like, oh, God, I can't imagine how much bacteria is on that thing. And then you gash your hand wide open and you're like, oh, God, oh, man, that's that's terrible. I'm bleeding all over the place. But then all you do after having had your hand gashed open by this jagged, nasty, rusty piece of metal, is you just slap bandages over it. And you just keep slapping bandages over it. And yeah, eventually it kind of starts to smell a little bit. And it's like, ah, gosh, what, what is that? So then you just kind of start dabbing like perfume or cologne onto the bandages so it doesn't smell as bad. And you just keep adding all these layers, these topical, superficial layers. But the smell just keeps getting worse because the wound is infected. But you just keep trying to mask it. And you may actually be able to not smell the festering wound, but it's not getting better. It's not clean. Likewise, when we have psycho-emotional wounds, we have to clean the energy. And I know this is sounding pretty woo-woo, I'm sure. Energy. But really what we're talking about is resentment, hatred, where are you still stuck in the past because of lingering resentment and hatred? You can't move on cleanly, freely, because you are being held, tethered, leashed, chained to the past. And ultimately, when we explore difficult things and for those that work with me, I'm sure they're chuckling right now because many of the sessions that we have are really hard. As I've said in past episodes, frequently clients report wanting to throw up or feeling really depressed for days after a session. I know that's a glowing endorsement of my work, but it gets better. Over time, we keep processing, we keep cleaning out the wound. And as hard as it is, it does get easier and it gets better. And those inner demons that were holding us down with so much power start to lose that power. And we begin to see a possibility inside of ourselves that we can create a new version of ourselves that we never thought was possible. And that from that, we can create a future 
that we never thought was possible. A future where we actually really enjoy life, where we live it. We don't merely survive it or endure it 24 hours at a time. Now, in closing, there's this final aspect that is a pro of looking into the past, stirring it up, processing it, and that relates back to that question mark around, well, what will become of the image of the person, the good parent, if you will? If I look back there and I see, oh, oh, man, oh, man, oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. There were ways in which they were not so good. And this might be a bit tricky and maybe uh, <laughs> too much for such a short episode, who knows, but I'll do my best. And that is that opposites can be true. It is possible for a parent to be loving and to also be flawed. For a parent to be our superhero in one instance and a disappointment in another. And it doesn't make them wrong. They may have done wrong things. And obviously, this concept gets way harder to accept when we're looking at the parent who is actually the aggressor, who is actually a perpetrator. And I do have clients who were sexually abused by one parent. Most oftentimes male, but sometimes not. But this idea that opposites can be true, as tricky as it is, if you are able to get yourself to a place of understanding that, oh yeah, it is possible for somebody to demonstrate love in one instance and neglect or, uh, I guess in the, in the case of those parents who kind of look the other way, oftentimes one of the things that we uncover is that that parent was also doing the best that they could and that they also struggled with their own victimization, their own inability to access strength and power, and that sometimes looking the other way was the only thing that they could do to ensure that they could stay in the game, quote-unquote, for the long run. That there were times when they were just so exhausted and so depleted that they didn't have any more resistance in them to argue with or fight back against the parent on behalf of the child. And it's hard. I mean, in all honesty, I have no idea what that's like. I mean, I have only the vaguest notion because there were times when my dad, definitely not abusive, <laughs> at least not to me, uh, who knows what he did in other parts of his life. But to me, he was, he was a great dad, but he was, he was hard. He was a hard man. And I think 
ultimately he wanted the best for me. He wanted me to grow up to be strong and autonomous and self-sufficient. And as a child, I didn't, I didn't always get that, that message. And there were times when my mom had to step in and kind of be like, whoa, you know, dad, pump the brakes. You're, you're coming on too strong here. So I only have the, the very slightest notion of what some of my clients have actually been through. And I would say, <laughs> I mean, in all reality, I, I have no fucking clue. So I have to analogize from my own experience because being physically or sexually, mentally, emotionally abused by a parent is beyond my own experience. So I have to synthesize that didn't really come out right. Synthesize, there you go, from my own experience. But the ability to recognize that opposites can be true can be tremendously freeing. It can be tremendously freeing for us to recognize that the parent that we try to put on a pedestal is, at the end of the day, still just human. Filled with their own fallibility, their own fatigue, their own ignorance, and that even our abusers, you know, there's this expression that hurt people hurt people. So that even our abusers, if they could do it better, that they would. That's just my belief. And I recognize that it can be so difficult to accept that. And I've had instances in my life where, largely my experiences in combat, where I've lost friends. Friends have been killed. And where I've had to contend with my own relationship with violence. The ways where I was willing to be a very brutal person, very savage person. But if you ask my wife, if you ask friends of mine, if you ask my clients, they will tell you they've seen different qualities. They've seen someone who is caring. They see someone who is compassionate. They see someone who has been through the process of violence and is certainly not keen to go through it again because of the costs that come with it. But inside of me, there is still a person who is willing to be brutal and savage under the appropriate circumstances. Opposites can be true. So when we look at stirring up the past, you know, should you let sleeping dogs lie? Ultimately, that's your decision. What I've seen in friends, family, teammates from the military, my own experience dealing with PTSD, when we let sleeping dogs lie indefinitely, again, just from what I've seen, it typically ends up being very corrosive and very toxic to ourselves and any relationships that we try to build and ultimately to the future we try to build. 
So I advocate when you are ready, when you are emotionally strong enough for it, that you do not let sleeping dogs lie. You process it, you clean it up, and you get on with your life and building that better you and that amazing future that waits for you. As always, I hope you're enjoying the show. I hope it's challenging you. And if you are being challenged or you are enjoying it, subscribe, like, <laughs> or follow, or whatever it is that we're doing these days, and share it with someone that you care about. Or don't. Totally up to you. Until next time, take care of each other. <laughs>